You are listening to the CEO Mom Podcast, the podcast that puts super momming into perspective. I am your host, Vonna Matthews, Editor-in-Chief of CEO Mom Magazine, and I am so excited to share this podcast with you. We are going to talk about everything that pertains to being a mom, the importance of self-care, entrepreneurship, and career, and trying to figure this thing out called balance. Is it obtainable? Do we care? Join us for all that and more on the CEO Mom Podcast. Hello, moms. You are in for a treat. We've had the opportunity to interview Salima Gulani for one of our upcoming 2018 issues. We are so excited about that. She had so many great business and life nuggets to share that we had to bring her back for the CEO Mom podcast. It is such a pleasure to have her back today. Salima Gulani is a motivational speaker and philanthropist and a TED Talk mentor who does approximately 200 public talks per year around the world. She is an advisor to major companies around the world on customer loyalty, strategic networking, change management, employee motivation, and future of business. Salima is an international mastermind and has worked as an advisor and speaker for clients such as Samsung, DuPont, Lego, McKinsey, Dell, Microsoft, Stanford University, BMW, Cisco, and many more. In March 2012, Salima was selected as one of the 192 management leaders by the World Economic Forum. In 2016, Salima was appointed by TED Talks as a mentor to the speakers. Listen in as Salima Gulani teaches us how to grow our businesses without making money the end goal. Thank you so much, Salima, for joining us today. It is my pleasure, really. As I was saying, we interviewed you before for one of our upcoming issues, and you told us a little bit about yourself. For our listeners, tell us who is Salima Gulani. Well, uh, I'm Danish, Moroccan. Uh, I live in the U.S. I moved here two years ago. I am a professional speaker. Uh, I'm an advisor for big companies and governments. And I'm an author of three of my own books and 16 other books. And then I started a few years ago investing my own money in small companies. So I'm a speaker, advisor, author, and investor. Awesome. When it comes to international business, you are a mastermind. You do a lot of global trade. You travel internationally speaking and doing business. How did your career lead you to global trade? Today, I work in 35 countries, uh, so I'm, I'm truly global. Uh, it all started out with me being really good at selling, and uh, that led to a career uh, where I was responsible for global sales. It was at Hewlett Packard. Microsoft, uh, Maersk, the biggest shipping company in the world. So I've always been good in selling. And when I, when I in 2007, uh, decided uh, to become independent uh, and starting my own company, it, it was the skill that I, that I wanted to scale. So a lot of people have great ideas, but they don't know how to sell. So I rent them my brain and I rent them my connections all over the world. So basically I do what I love. I travel a lot. I meet a lot of people from all over the world, all nationalities, all religions. Uh, I get to see so many nations and great ways of living. And I close deals like I'm a salesperson for rent. Uh, And, you know, even governments want to uh, make deals with other countries because if we trade and if we sell our products uh, between countries, then we are less likely to want to go into a war with them. So I actually think I'm doing a peacemaking effort here. 
That's awesome. So you tell us in 2007, you became independent. Tell us a little bit more about that transition. I'm assuming you went from corporate and working for somebody else to doing your own thing. How did that come about? So I knew that there was a lot of companies who would love to hire me as a sales director. Uh, I knew that because over the, over the years, people would contact me, but they were too small or they couldn't pay me my salary. So I always turned them down, right? And maybe I didn't really want to work for the company, but very often it was because it was too small. They were too small, but I kept a record. And that's really important. Have a book, write down opportunities that you turn down because you never know when you have to contact these people again. So I called a company that I knew that was really interested in hiring me. They could just never afford it. And, you know, and then I said, you know, look, guys, I'm, I'm available uh, now. I'm pregnant, so, uh, but I can give you two days per week of my time. And you're going to get me for these two days a week. You're going to get me for half of my salary. And I promise we will put these KPIs, you know, so that you can measure that I'm a success. <clears throat> and I will make sure that you, that you uh, earn back your investment. So I was very confident that that investment that they were put in me, I mean, I needed security. I needed to be sure that I could pay my rent and my bills every month. On the other hand, I was willing to, to tell them that I could pay, that I would be a good investment for them. And they couldn't see any risk. And I asked them to sign, I asked them to sign a contract that couldn't be, that couldn't be terminated uh, within the next year. <laughs> so, and they said yes, and they paid me and I got my monthly salary. It was, it was not enough, but it was just enough for me not to stay hungry and I could pay the, the basics uh, in my life. And then that gave me three days a week. I was pregnant, so I was tired, you know, but it gave me three days a week, a week where I could start speaking. I could build up a platform of, you know, I, I started writing articles. I started writing for the local newspaper. I started running workshops. You know, I, that gave me a platform to build uh, my future audience. And at the moment, I have my son. He's 10 years old. I mean, the very day he came to this world, Basically, two weeks after, I had a full-blown career, and I, I'm, I made 10 times as much money than I've ever done in my life per month. So I, I was kind of, you know, I was taking it slow, but I was planning, and, and I was using my rest period where I was resting and pregnant for the future uh, business planning. So I think I did the smart thing, and I was very good at networking. Like, I, looked, I, I, I told people that I will be in... in in a few months after I gave birth, I told everyone, you know, I'm ready to, to go out and, 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 and be hired. And that's something I think a lot of people find very uncomfortable to be open about. You know, I'm available. You can buy me. You can rent me. You can hire me. And just be out there and just tell people. And, you know, to put your prices out there, invest in a homepage, be active on social media, start publishing some of your knowledge so that people actually know that you have something to sell and that you have a knowledge that they need. So the whole personal branding, uh, selling and networking is something that I'm really good at. And that took me, that took me very far, but of course I was scared. And a few times I actually considered whether I should just look for a job again, uh, because when it's painful and then when it's hard and when you're alone and all that, that's so easy to go back to an employment because that's where you get the security but you will never get the freedom and the flexibility. And I doubt that I would have that success today if I have still be employed. No one would give me this much freedom 
to reinvent myself and, and build a global career this way. I don't think so. So, yeah. So network, branding, and selling is very, very crucial. And you don't have to be good at it. I mean, there's a lot of people you can ask for help. So basic, bottom of line is find something that can pay your rent. It can be, you know, working at a local diner or it could be working night shifts or whatever. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't have to be black or white. You can be kind of employed for a while and then be independent the rest of the week. It's fine. You know, don't throw everything you have and, and run out and become a contractor, sorry, an entrepreneur if you have nothing to be, if you don't have anything to sell. But you don't have to have a great idea, you know. You don't have to be inventing a very special thing. You can sell your time and your knowledge. I agree. I definitely agree with that. Thanks for sharing that you were afraid. I love the way you shared with us in the last interview that you went out and you recruited people and you basically gave them an idea and said, I can help you with your sales. I think when a lot of people think of entrepreneurship, they think it's just sitting down and coming up with a business idea and a business plan and then executing and going from there. But you actually started working with another company, almost like a contractor, if you will. And then you transitioned into entrepreneurship. Is that correct? Well, I'm glad for that, that, you, that you asked me that question because I never really wanted to be independent. I never saw myself as being self-employed. I never saw that coming. I always thought I would be running big organizations and that was kind of my destiny. But I was fired in 2007 and I was pregnant and I'm the breadwinner. And no one employs a pregnant woman. Like, I mean, regardless how good you are, no one employs you. So really, I didn't have a chance. I mean, I went to a lot of interviews and all the headhunters were really nice. But no one gave me a contract. And then that was the crucial moment, I think. I just decided, you know what? I know I'm good at what I'm doing, and I'm going to go out and prove that I can, that I can earn my own salary. Uh, and I gave myself that challenge, and I started you know, calling people, uh, do a little bit of marketing. I got a homepage. I got a business card. You know, I took the ownership uh, of my own life. And I've never looked back since, you know, I, I, I can hardly see myself being employed again. This is an awesome ride, but it was very bumpy in the beginning. And I was very afraid, scared to death, because when you are employed, you know, you're good, but you never know how good you are because you have a team, right? When you start working for yourself, with yourself, you have to, you have to be good because it's very clear if you're not good, you don't make any money at all. So the first invoice that I, that, that I was able to invoice just a month after I was fired was, I think, one of my top five pleasures in life was to, to, to be paid for my time. I mean, really paid for my time. It was really awesome. And, and that is still something that I really enjoy. Uh, I really enjoy people contacting me and hiring me and paying me. And I'm still very proud that I'm still relevant, you know. Uh, in this field uh, and that people still contact me. So yeah, it's, it's a great pleasure. But you know, honestly speaking, I was so afraid, but I didn't have a plan B. I'm the breadwinner. I was pregnant. I couldn't get a job. I don't think you get a more urgent platform than that. There's so many incredible nuggets from what you just shared. And we are definitely going to include those in the podcast notes. A few of them I got was be creative, be resourceful, and be willing to sell your time. I love the way you said you wanted to finally be paid, really, really paid for your time. That's such a valuable nugget. 
Also, being pregnant does not have to deter you from pursuing your dreams. We will definitely talk about that a little bit more. But going back to the purpose of this call, we want to talk about what it means to grow your business without making money the end goal. When starting a business or propelling your career, why should making money not be the end goal? I mean, I love I love money. Don't get my don't get me wrong. I think money is fantastic. I, I love spending my money. I love I love making my money. But you have to spend your money on good things, and you have to make money on good things. If your end goal is just making money, it becomes a little bit, you know, like new rich kind of edgy, and that's not going to be successful. People would love to pay you for your time, and they want you to see you get become successful if you're doing something that is meaningful. And nowadays, uh, you have to be authentic. All brands who are not authentic, uh, if, if you don't, uh, you know, make the world to a better place, I think it's more difficult for you to build a loyal group of supporters, fans, customers, you know, that really... So you have to find a purpose. So when I say that I create peace through world trade, you know, all my clients kind of like that, right? They, they see themselves as being part of a movement, um, and they love being empowered uh, that we're doing something good and great together. So just making money is proven again and again. That's not a, that's not a business uh, idea. But of course, you should be paid for what you do, and you should be paid well. Too many women ask for too little, meaning they work their butt off, but they don't get paid, and that's, that's, not, that's stupid. So you have to find the right balance between being paid just enough uh, but you have to trade, you know, you have to find the trade off. How much do you want to work? Uh, how much do you want to be paid? Uh, and then transform that into a value proposition that you can explain your clients why they should be supporting your business instead of not instead of something else, but why should they be supporting your business? And I think the value proposition is super important. Your clients want to understand why you're doing what you're doing. It's not enough that you're good at what you're doing, but there has to be a big why. Because people buy your services with emotions. Of course, they look at the quality, they look at the prices, they look at all that. But in the end of the day, it's about trusting you, it's about trusting your message, it's about trusting that they are, they are, they are becoming part of something that is bigger than them and something bigger than you. So purpose is really important. And if, you only, uh, if you're only into the game for the money's sake, I will bet my money on that you're not going to be successful because the driver is wrong. And again, I have to say, being from Denmark, you know, in Denmark, we don't make a lot of money, but we have an extremely successful happiness index, I think the best in the world. And, you know, uh, Gallup World Poll, many times they have asked people all over the world from age 15 to, I don't know, 64 or whatever. And everyone says life satisfaction and well-being is not about money. It's about relationships. And actually, it's by feeling that you're working on something that's a, a goal. It's a higher goal. It's, a, it's something that's bigger than you. That, that makes us happy, whether that is a religious goal or business goal or family. It doesn't matter. But you have to have a purpose. That, that keeps you going much, much longer, and you're going to be much more successful. But I really want to emphasize money are not bad. It's only the way you make money or spend money that can make money bad itself. But money itself is not bad. That's a really, really great message. Going back to it's important to have purpose, which I completely agree with. And I think that that allows you to connect with people more, whether it's people you work with or people you serve. As you were saying, you market yourself as someone who is creating peace as a part of global trade. 
So how do you determine your purpose for being in business? So first of all, I cannot not feel that I, I mean, if it's not a good deal. Um, for instance, I might be contacted by someone who have a business or are representing an industry that I don't, that I don't agree with is going to make the world a better place, right? Then I turn down that client. I turn down clients uh, every week uh, and I rather, you know, I'm very vocal about it. Uh, they have to live up to five standards, right? So, uh, and if they don't live up to that, then I will not represent them because I cannot be sitting negotiating deals uh, if I know that something in the supply chain is not working, if, it, if they have, uh, you know, produced their products through child labor or, you know, if the products are so unhealthy, uh, that's not going to work. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not saying that everything I represent is super healthy for the world, because what is? Actually, we shouldn't be consuming anything, right? We should just grow our own fruit and vegetables and not drive our cars. That's not possible. But I, I have standards. And actually, you know, the first thing I ask companies is to answer five questions to make sure that they, that they, that they are going to do good with their products. And then, and I'm not, I'm not religious in any way. Like I'm not trying to say that uh, it all has to be green and vegan and sustainable. It's not possible, but they have to have strong values or they really have to be on a, on a path where they want to become better. Uh, so yeah, I'm, you know, we have the 17 sustainable goals in the world and, you know, it, to, nowadays it's very easy to look and, and look at a business and, and look if they are sustainable. I mean, it's not that difficult anymore. So I'm trying to, to do that uh, analysis of each client. So that's a way for me to stay loyal to my values. And then I have to say, I look for culture. So if the culture doesn't match my culture, saying if we don't have the energy, if we don't have the, if that's not a good wipe, if it's not good people, if I don't trust them, I, don't, I will never, like business can be expensive. Business can kill you. It can kill your soul and your whatever if you pick the wrong client. So I'm kind of picky and I can afford to be picky. And the more picky I am, the more successful I am. So never go down on your values. I mean, define four values that you think is representing you. And then you find the clients who, who, who fit into your set of values. Very important. It's never the other way around. So it sounds like you are saying that your purpose is tied up in the relationships you're building, in your colleagues and the people you are serving. Yeah, totally, totally. It's, so I, you know, over the years I've realized you can have a lot of great ideas, great products, but success comes really from people and from liking. You don't have to love each other, but if you don't like each other, if you don't trust each other, there's no business that's going to be successful. A business is not rational. Business is highly emotional. People will probably decline it or, or, or try to, to say it's not. But, you know, we have so many research, brain scans, research done by universities. Selling is social. Selling is trust. Is selling is all about relationships. And I'm, an ex I'm a very good relationship builder. So I nurture the relationships. I think very long term. Uh, and the world is so small. That if you don't think carefully about how you do your business, you're gonna be hit by something later in life. So it's better just to do business the good way. And you know what? I'm you know what makes me proud? I've been doing this for so many years now. I haven't yet met anyone who said that I didn't do, didn't do a great job. Meaning I didn't screw anyone, or you know, I think it's just very important to make to make up your mind that you want happy clients. Like 
And I think every business should be like that. I don't like when people try to tie customers into long-term contracts, and if they're not happy, then they can't leave. It's not the way business should be. It should be easy to become a client, and it should be easy to terminate a contract. That's my philosophy. A lot of business models are kind of old school. You write a contract, you cannot leave. You know, it takes forever to to terminate it. I think it's wrong. You know, it should be easy to become client and easy to leave if you don't if you're not happy. I like that. I like that. I know that would make a lot of people happy and make a lot of people want to do business with you. I love that perspective. That's a perfect segue to our next question. So since we've talked about your purpose in business being about the connections and relationships you make, let's talk a little bit about networking. When it comes to strategic networking, what are some of the do's and don'ts of mapping and nurturing your network? You know, networking is one of my favorite topics. And first of all, you should be doing networking before you need a network, right? But that's easier said than done. Networking is not an activity, it's a lifestyle. And networking is basically, everyone has a network. So you should never be sitting and thinking, I don't have a network. You might not have the right network, but you have a network. So you have to start where you already are. And you can just take a piece of paper and start mapping who you know, what competences they have, and how you and them can benefit from their relations. And you should always think about where you are about to go. So if you, for instance, want to grow your business into, I don't know, Turkey or just another state or whatever, start looking, who do I know in Texas or who do I know in, 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 in California or whatever, and start looking. And then you start planning how to find these people, how to get into contact with them. And, and some of the so what, you, what you really should be doing is always make sure that it's a benefit for both of you guys that you have a relationship. Just giving or just taking is not working. So make sure that there's a good balance. And then there should be kind of a perspective in the relationship. You should tell people why you need their help. And you should always make sure that you help them back. What you shouldn't be doing is you should not overpromise. I see again and again people who say, I will get back to you. Okay, I can help you with that. And then they never really do it, right? And that, that, keeps, that gives you a bad record. So make sure that it's benefiting both of you. Be strategic for both of you. And don't overpromise. Then it's much better to say it was nice to meet you and don't follow up. Don't promise. If you don't, I mean, if you promise, then you'll deliver. Then you shouldn't promise, then you don't have to deliver. Big difference. And again, what you shouldn't be doing is you shouldn't be building a very big network that you, don't have, that you don't, do not have time to nurture. It's much better to have five people in your network, the five right people, instead of 500 people who are not the right ones. And you know what? It is a common mistake to think that you need to know a 1,000 people. You don't. And remember, everyone started with one, one receiver of your newsletter, one follower on Twitter. We all did, right? So think about building, building and be patient and, and make sure that people get something out of it from being in a network with you. Give and take. Don't only give, don't only take, do both. I love the way you said it's good to start working on a network before you actually need one. You very seldom hear people really talk about that or really go into detail. So when discussing networking, focus is usually put on developing the relationship post-launch so after you have the business, you get out there and start promoting. What are some practical things an entrepreneur can do to leverage their network for valid input pre-launch before they have that product or business out there? 
You know, nowadays, there's so many great options for engaging a network. You don't even have to leave your house. I mean, basically, technology has been a revolution. When I started my business, that was, you know, kind of before LinkedIn. It was before Facebook. You actually had to go out there with your business cards and, you know, put on your dress, put on your lipstick and stay out late. You know, that was kind of how it was when I started. Nowadays, you can have a worldwide network uh, and building strong relationships w- virtually with people you never met. So it's very different. And people are getting better better at networking. But when I started networking, people didn't really know what it was, right? I remember I came up with the first talk in my country on strategic networking. And so, but nowadays, people are more, they're better at it. So that's benefiting all of us. Yet again, you need to build a network before you need it. So one of the cheapest and best ways to make use of your network and to really tie people closer to you is to ask them for a favor. I would, if I should start a new business tomorrow, I would find 10 people in my network, people that I already know, people I highly respect, people I trust, and people who know something about what I'm supposed to do, I will ask them to join an, an, an advisory board and I will ask them to show up six times a year. I will put a lot of energy into organizing these meetings so that they are highly beneficial, efficient, uh, interesting for the people. Uh, and I will you know, start uh, maybe a year before or six months before launching my company. I would start discussing my segment, my marketing, my branding, my prices, my portfolio, my services. So you can do that, and people don't expect to be paid. It's not like a board, right? It's an advisory board. An advisory board are people you like and trust, and they want to help you. And then you you tell them, uh, hey, uh, Kim, uh, from you, I, I, I need to know more about Asia. That's, that's your task, to educate me on Asia. Hey, Lisa, uh, you know everything about social media selling. I need you for a project for six months to be my key advisor. You will be with these nine other people. You want to help me. You want to support me. Most people don't say no, you know. And nowadays you can have meetings online. You can dial in on FaceTime. You know, there's so many great ways to ask for help before you need it or before launching a company. So don't wait. Don't wait until you launch because that's, that is always something that you didn't see, something you didn't know. And when you first start launching, that's too late, you know. That's too late in the process to realize you did something wrong. That is such great advice. I hope everyone is taking note of that. Ask for a favor. Initially, when you hear that, it's like, whoa, it may, I guess, push some people away. But the way you break it down, I think that is so awesome. Get an advisory board. Great, great advice. We will definitely be including that in our podcast notes. One of our last questions, you are such an incredible motivational speaker, as everyone can hear today. And you have a quote that you wrote that I love. Our way of thinking is based on the assumption that the future is going to be like the past. How can we leverage past failures to realize future successes? Human beings can imagine things. That is what makes human beings so amazingly fascinating because we can imagine. But we have to stay, you know, uh, creative. And so let me give you a small example. So once uh, the Kennedy School gave a group of students, uh, maybe third graders, the task to, to draw a researcher. And they all draw a white man with glasses and, you know, a white dress. And, and then they, they, they fill the room afterwards with a lot of researchers, women and men, all colors, all sizes, you know, 
some, some with long hair, some with short hair. And then they asked the students afterwards to draw a researcher. And now the profiles look so much more diverse, so much more creative. So what I'm saying is what we should really understand is things are changing so fast now that we can no longer afford not to be creative and more innovative and open. So we should spend less time on benchmarking, much more time in reading and impacting the future. And not the, the, the worst thing you can say in any situation is we tried that and that was not, like that failed. We tried it. So even if you tried something two years ago, it might actually work now. So make sure that you don't get uh, too comfortable in your way of thinking and doing. Keep being interrupted. You should hire people, ask people to uh, interrupt, disrupt, uh, maybe even hack your business uh, uh, to make sure that you don't stay stuck in a period of time. It can be in the 80s or 90s, whatever. Don't be stuck. So it's very, it's very difficult because we get comfortable. At some, at some stage in our life, we get comfortable. We know stuff. We tried things. We know that we know. That's the most dangerous, dangerous state of mind. You don't know. You don't know. So you always start off with saying, I don't know. And that's kind of, um, that's kind of uh, uh, you know, it's fascinating to ask people to do that because people get paid a lot of money for knowing. And I want them to say, I don't know. So it's a state of mind. It's, it's challenging them. But I never take for granted that I know. Biases, uh, repetition, uh, your network is giving you the same advice time over time. So you have to challenge yourself. And that's not easy because comfort is something people like too. So how do you, how do you make sure that you can imagine things you haven't seen before? That's, that, that, that is the key challenge. That is, really the key. that is why companies die is because they don't have a strategy for re uh, for interrupting and uh, and and you know yeah yeah interrupting their own company. You have such an out of the box approach to business. That's why you're such an international success. I love it. Oh my goodness, this interview could easily be two hours. Easily be two hours. So how can people stay connected and follow you to learn more about all you have going on? Oh, you're so kind. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm, you know, I'm very social media addicted, I have to say. So Sulaima Gorani, I, I think I'm the only one with that name in the world. So I should be rather easy to find. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I like that media a lot because it's business and it's, uh, yeah. So if people want to follow me there, that would be super nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Salima. And you guys, she will be in one of our upcoming issues, so stay tuned. She has a lot of great nuggets there as well. Thank you, Salima, for joining us today. Thank you so much for letting me join you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. As always, it's a pleasure to have you. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and rate us. We'd greatly appreciate it. You can connect with us by subscribing to our newsletter and quarterly magazine at CEOMomMagazine.com. Until next time, this is Vanna Matthews with CEO Mom, the publication that puts Super Mommy into perspective.